0: Marhaban wa assalamu alaykum, welcome and peace be upon you I'm Roland Tanner
1: I am Joel McLeod
0: and this is the 905er podcast some listeners will know that the words I just began the podcast with are in Arabic and are spoken millions perhaps billions of times a day around the world at home when welcoming guests with friends and at the places of worship of multiple religions welcome and peace be upon you. The first words you learn, if you learn anything about Arabic, are the words for providing hospitality, for providing welcome, uh, delivered with a courteousness that, by Western standards, can seem old-fashioned, and wishing your guest to live in peace. The exact same phrase exists in Hebrew, shalom elikum, and is spoken in similar or derivative forms across the languages and dialects of North Africa, the Levant, Arabia, and Asia, as far as China, where it's spoken by the Uyghurs. These are just some simple facts. I'm not claiming to tell you anything profound about the culture of the Middle East or Asia. But for far too many of us, even these most basic facts about the background of some of the different cultures that today make up the people of Canada would be completely unknown. Nobody learns about this stuff, about the different cultures of Canada. Nobody really cares most of the time. And so we remain pretty ignorant of many of our fellow Canadians. And in that vacuum, that ignorance creates. Hate grows. A few hours ago, a man in London, Ontario, chose to drive a truck into a family of five waiting at a crosswalk. Four were killed. One child was seriously injured but has survived. London is outside the GTA, outside the 905, but it's very much a city like ours, wherever we might live in Ontario. This family was cut down on Main Street, Canada in 2021. The hate that makes someone carry out such a horrendous act can only be born out of ignorance, and a profound desire to stay ignorant, a profound desire to listen only to the most hateful and distorted lies and ignore the fact that that they make no sense. The killer didn't know this family, didn't want to know them, because if he did, he would have been forced to realise they were humans just like him, better humans than him, not driven by hatred. Humans just trying to live in peace, humans who would have welcomed him to their home, given the chance, and would have wished that peace be upon him. It's the same refusal to recognise the humanity of others that drives antisemitism and fueled the Holocaust, that drives racism, that lets one man suffocate another with his knee on his neck in the name of keeping the peace, that lets priests and nuns starve, abuse and murder First Nations, Nations children, and then bury them secretly in mass graves for a hundred years, with the apathetic approval of Canadian voters. It's been a dark month, in a dark year, in a dark decade of Canadian history. We need to do better, we need to start driving the ignorance out of the minds of Canadians who are fueled by hate. We need to educate ourselves better. We need to get to know our fellow Canadians better. Especially if they are different from us. Especially if they attend a mosque or a synagogue or a Gurdwara or a church that's unfamiliar to us. Especially if they can speak a different language or if they look different. Especially if their ancestors lived in these lands before our ancestors did or even knew that it existed. And when we do, we'll find, every single time, that our neighbours are just regular human beings trying to get by, just like us. Our guest this week is Graham Crawford, one of the leads and spokespeople of I Elect Hamilton, which was launched two weeks ago. In two short weeks, I-elect Hamilton has provoked a wave of positive support from many Hamiltonians and a storm of angry reaction from some of the city's political grandees, who dislike its agenda of seeking a better council for Hamilton. It's already been described as a leftist takeover by university elites, and it's been attacked for being negative and unfairly hostile to incumbent councillors, just trying to do a decent job. If true, it must be said Graham Crawford has taken an unusual route to being a leftist revolutionary. Born in Hamilton, he co-owned a management consulting firm in Toronto for 25 years, before selling the business and retiring back to Hamilton in 2005. He considers himself to be a critical optimist. We spoke to Graham for our usual 30-odd minutes, and then we spoke a bit longer, and then we spoke some more, and we ended up with quite enough conversation to make two good episodes. So that's exactly what we're going to give you. So settle down for part one of our conversation with Graham as we look at Hamilton's political problems and what I elect Hamilton suggests is the answer for a better city. Please don't forget to share and review the 9050 podcast wherever you get it. If you'd like to be part of the 905er journey and to help us grow into a valued voice for our region, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash the 905er. That's patreon.com, T-H-E, number nine zero five E-R. Thanks very much.
1: Okay. Well, I'd like to thank Graham Crawford, who is one of the organizers of I Elect Hamilton, for coming on the 905 for today. Thank you, Graham, for taking the time from your schedule to, uh, to come on and uh, answer some of our, uh, our questions with this unique Municipal endeavor uh, for Hamilton.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you. And thank you both for inviting me on. I'm, I'm a fan, I'm a regular listener. So it's nice to be a guest.
1: <laughs> Long time listener, first time caller. Exactly right.
2: <laughs> Hello, Larry. Yes.
1: <laughs> um, so, you know what? Let's, because some of our, our listeners probably aren't, uh, they're not all exclusively Hamiltonians. And even those who live in Hamilton might not know what I like Hamilton is. Can you give us just a brief summary of what I Elect Hamilton is and how did this originate uh, uh, from you?
2: Sure. So let's, first of all, what it is, it's a a group of, uh, it's a grassroots organization, diverse group of Hamiltonians who are dissatisfied with uh, the decisions and behaviors and actions of our current council. And uh, so we actually grew out of a common sort of Uh, unhappiness. Uh, I wrote an op-ed in The Spectator 2019, December of 2019, that was about civic sadness. And uh, it was after the SewerGate scandal, then the Red Hill Valley scandal came out. There was uh, violence of pride and and our council reacted, in my opinion, very badly to that. Anyway, a friend reached out, said, let's have coffee. I I read your op-ed. Then that led to, we got to do something. And literally 30 days later, we had our first meeting. We each invited, the two of us invited 12 people, 24 people showed up. I elect grew out of that. It was a face-to-face meeting. So this is pre-COVID, but only barely as it turns out. And we had a second meeting. So we've only had two face-to-face meetings, but our goal is, our tagline is new leadership for a better Hamilton. And I elect, Stands for six priorities that we are focusing on, that all municipalities really across the country focus on. So, just very quickly, it's it's infrastructure, economy, leadership, environment, community, transportation. Each the first letter of those spells I elect.
1: Well, I think it's interesting. You said that you 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 guys started meeting back in twenty nineteen or, or thereabouts, correct?
2: Yeah. First coffee was 2019. First face-to-face group meeting was January, 2020.
1: So this, this isn't like a, a you know, a last weekend you guys had this idea to, <laughs> no. to do this. this. This has been, this has been brewing for some time, uh, I guess with the, uh, let, let's do a, use a polite term discontent, discontentment with the current Hamilton city
2: council. Yeah, oh, de- definitely. That's that's. Uh, it was a common catalyst, actually. We all agreed, and it, it's grown since then because we just launched uh, less than two weeks ago, uh, eleven days ago, I think.
0: Immediately, you did launch. Um, one of the one of the older leaders of Hamilton, waited in and and well, it's been giving you some some free publicity, I think, to be honest. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Larry exactly, Diani. Yeah,
2: talking <laughs> it up, Larry. Yeah. yeah
0: said a a bunch of kind of fairly inflammatory things i noticed he's been he's been doing it again today actually um sort of accusing well let's start off with the most ludicrous point um which we we actually mentioned on the podcast a week or so ago
2: yes you did i heard that actually yeah
0: that there's there's kind of this that basically what we're you're a leftist plot to overtake hamilton council now (laughs) I feel almost stupid asking you to address that point. But do you want to address that point?
2: <laughs> yes. Speak to my lawyer. <laughs> uh, it, uh, no, indeed. Uh, you know, Larry in his constant search for relevance felt he had to say something. So he has. Um, but, you know, it's, it's what Larry does, and that's fine. Um, we are a group of diverse people. People uh, have assumed that we, are, we have a party affiliation. We don't. People have said, oh, it's, you're, you're putting a slate of candidates together. We're not. Uh, they've said you're going to endorse candidates. We're not. Uh, you're going to fund candidates through your fundraising. We're not. So no slate, no, no funding of candidates, and no party affiliation. I mean, it's a no to everything they claim. But this is the age, as you know, of misrepresentation, of false facts, And it's just trying to goad us into saying something and we're not biting. We're, we're all too smart for that. All of us, not just a few of us.
1: Well, there's a, there's a lot of time to unpack in that, in that statement, uh, Graham, and just, so, I mean, first thing that comes to mind is how are you guys going to function in the next municipal election? Because uh, you just said you actually eliminated like three of my next questions in that statement. <laughs> Sorry so, about that. So you're, you're, no, that's, that's great. It's easy for me. So, like, you're not, you're not endorsing anyone. You're not going to put forward a slate of candidates uh, across the wards. What, what exactly do you envision your role being in the next municipal election?
2: Sure. Well, because we have identified the uh, six priorities – um, that municipalities spend a lot of money on, and residents care a lot about. Um, and because our tagline is "New Leadership for a Better Hamilton," there's two two major concepts in that tagline: New Leadership. We want to see faces change around the council table. As you know, we have a, a councillor who's been there. By the time the next election happens, he will have been he will be celebrating his thirty or finishing his thirty fourth year. That's three, four, 34 years in that seat. We have others who are 25 years. We have others who are 18 years. We think it's time for new leadership. And the reason we do is because we're also looking at what. how do we define a better Hamilton? Status quo isn't good enough. Uh, someone wisely said um, that we are managing Hamilton's decline. Uh, that's what council does, uh, our current council. And unfortunately, a lot of us agree we're ma- they're managing our decline instead of building a f- fabulous, ambitious, glorious tenth-largest city in the country, which we absolutely have the capacity to be, but, but not I mean, if you keep making bad decisions. Yeah, just we sp- keep running away from the tough ones.
0: We we spoke to Laura Babcock a couple of weeks ago, specifically, more specifically, about the LRT uh, announcement, and she. Mentioned something that that directly paralleled something you you said in your kind of opening statement there, which was you you mentioned this concept of civic sadness, and she said you know Hamilton is like a city with a broken heart. Um, I'm not sure that I've ever heard phrases like that used before in a kind of municipal civic environment, but it it, it absolutely to me kind of hits the nail on the head that that it's it's this the people who have been in positions of influence for a very long time seem to want to say, no, don't hope for better. If you hope for better, you're, you're an idiot. Um, you know, hope for, this is as good as it's going to get guys. Um, and I don't know, maybe you could you just expand a bit more on that kind of idea of civic sadness that you mentioned.
2: Yeah. I mean, the civic sadness comes from expecting so much more out of your leaders and they disappoint you. As seemingly at every turn. I mean, we're talking about major scandals here. This is not just a, mm-hmm. gee, you know, I wish my road was repaved or my blue box was broken and it took six weeks to get a new one. We're talking about 24 billion liters of sewage that was leaked into Cootes Paradise because a gate was open on our water containment facility. We have an independent inquiry into the paving of the Red Hill Valley Parkway, which is a highway because there's concerns that the pavement was improperly specked, and that accidents have happened. Some have resulted in death, others major catastrophic accidents. Those are just two examples, but those are major uh, examples that will ultimately cost the city of Hamilton. I mean, no one knows for sure, but we're talking many tens of millions of dollars in fines and probably lawsuits. Who made those decisions? The Red Hill Valley paving scandal, that report was available, but was hidden by our council. We know it was, I'm not making this up, we know it was hidden by them. The sewer gate, uh, that 24 billion liter spill, they voted to keep it a secret from residents. Now, if that doesn't make you upset, breaks your heart, makes you sad, I don't know what will. And, you know, I spent my whole life in Hamilton uh, with a little period in Toronto uh, because of my working life. But I'm a Hamiltonian. Uh, We are a very proud people. Maybe that's true of every city. I don't really know. But I do know that 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 sort of, you know, grittiness, give you shirt off your back for people in need. That's what Hamiltonians are. Um, They want better, but they've been putting up with less. That has to stop. Uh, it, it's as recently as yesterday when Metrolinx and the Assistant Deputy Minister from the Ministry of Transportation spoke before our council answering their questions about why we should accept a $3.4 billion LRT gift. If that doesn't prove some of those questions were embarrassing, they were, they were just pathetic and it shows the quality of our leadership and it's not good and that's why we're up in arms if you will i mean this isn't storming the bastille as it were but it's close enough uh in terms of uh the psyche involved in that we need the change and we've got to make it happen
0: i'm going to quickly add sort of two related questions on that one how did this come to be? Why? And I, I, I kind of know the answer in some regards in that, that you can look at a lot of cities where councillors just don't get unelected once they've been elected. And and that's a problem with kind of the way our municipal politics works and maybe media coverage and things like that. But how did this come to be? And how do we, how do we encourage better people to come forward to run in, uh, well, I guess it's next year now, isn't it, that the, the election is coming up?
2: It's October 24th of next year is the election day. May 2nd of next year is when candidates can declare. So between now and May 2nd, there is no such thing as a candidate because they, they, that category doesn't technically exist in law. So what we plan on doing, so first of all, to answer your question, how do I think this came to be? You know, I, I think we had better leaders in the past, uh, but how far back? I don't know, 40 years maybe? It's not like we don't have any good leaders at the table right now, um, but we don't have enough of them. And they get outvoted every time by the old guard. I think that we have a problem with a certain kind of civic myopia by councillors as well. They don't read much about urban affairs, about trends, about best practices. They don't travel. We have councillors who haven't even driven up the road to Kitchener-Waterloo to look at their LRT. And this is in the face of the largest investment by two levels of government, at least the offer of it, in the history of Hamilton. That's 175 years old. And our counselors won't get in their car or won't say, let's charter a bus and all go together to Kitchener-Waterloo. It's 45 minutes away. And they're actually doing what we are talking about doing and what a lot of Hamiltonians are pushing for, which is to build LRT. The difference between Kitchener and Hamilton is, Kitchener had to put up a third of the funding from the taxpayers. We don't. And yet we're fighting it. Why? Because I think too many of our counselors rely on the paycheck, to be honest. This is the best job they've ever had. They've never made this kind of salary in their lives. In some cases, not every case, but in many cases, they also define through the job, they self-define through the job. You know, and if you define yourself as counselor/slash leader and suddenly you're not, like just step down after 35 years, maybe, like give somebody else a try. I think people are afraid of, well, who are they? Once they're not, they're no longer a counselor. I think that's a factor. And, and so we get. And and incumbency, of course, as you both know, it's tough to to break that because, of course, we we fund their advertising. All you have to do is look at community newspapers and, for that matter, mainstream media. And our counselors' faces, or many of our counselors' faces, especially the veterans, are all over them. And we pay for that. So how could an incumbent get away with that? Well, we let them. It's, It's legal. We should change the rules, but we don't. If your face appears in ads, as far as I'm concerned, you should pay for it yourself. Don't don't put that on the taxpayers.
1: You know, I, I'm an outsider looking into Hamilton, and I find that Hamilton is, there's this there's this reluctancy to change, or there's this, I guess, fear change. Uh, Hamilton wants to hold on to its, that, in its old image as this blue-collar steel town. Uh, I mean, people still refer to U.S. Steel as Stelco, even though, by all accounts, it is not legally stelco anymore but that's you know just that, that's the mentality that's there there, there seems to be a, a a political class in hamilton that wants to cultivate this nostalgia while at the same time undermining any kind of progress for the future and i'm just why is hamilton have had this reluctancy to embrace change and to re- re- embrace the realities of the 21st century that you know you need to start talking about more modern infrastructure, more public transit, you know, um, w- Wi-Fi in public spaces, and more more green space, more all, all the all these things that that go into making it kind of a twenty first century city. There's this huge reluctance to have this public discourse, an honest public discourse, rather it gets kind of hijacked by the the naysayers to say, you know, like like we said, Hamilton can't have nice things, right? right. Because you know, we're, we're a steel town, whatever that means. Do do you want to have, do you want to comment a bit on that, Graham?
2: Well, I think is I'm old enough to, to remember uh, Stelco when it's, by the way, it's Stelco again, but you're absolutely right. It was U S steel for quite a number of years, but that got sold off by U S steel. It's been rebranded, but it's much, much smaller uh, than it used to be. So, what do I, I mean I remember uh, our big industrial heyday in Hamilton. So back in the you know, '60s and 70's and 80's, for that matter, I worked for Stelco in the communications department back in 1975. It was my first full-time job. And at that time, Stelco, which is one company and only one in Hamilton, was 12 and a half thousand employees in Hamilton, 25,000 across the country. But then you could add to that, DeFasco and Otis Elevator and Firestone and Westinghouse and on it went. So yes, we were a blue collar town with lots of well-paying management jobs though and executive jobs. All of that is gone. There is still some steel making. Uh, DeFasco, now ArcelorMittal is is still thriving actually. But a lot of the industrial base is gone. But what it's been replaced with is uh, medical research uh, innovation, the McMaster Innovation Park is a, is a very impressive place. We're still, a, we're a cultural city and our community is thriving, uh, not so much during COVID, but we have a wonderful Philharmonic Orchestra, an excellent art gallery, second only to the Art Gallery of Ontario. We have lots of big city features. We do also have, though, a small city mentality, in my opinion. And I think, un- unfortunately, I think that is fostered by the quality of leadership we have in the city. It's very small-minded. It's it's ward-specific. As I say, uh, poorly read, poorly traveled, not open to new ideas, and desperate to get re-elected. So don't rock the boat. Don't try and push new ideas. Don't try and advance the city forward. Just uh, sell stuff that the average person can buy. And if, you, if that is your approach, nothing changes.
0: One of the other things that uh, former Mayor Diani said that really i objected to was was the kind of anti-intellectualism of the you know these university elites well again it's that tall poppy thing isn't it it's like how dare you get above your station you're just a guy from hamilton you know Uh, it's so small-minded so lacking in, in ambition it's just frustrating beyond words but and related to that is is of course I feel that I, and I don't know if you agree that Hamilton is still dealing with the fallout of amalgamation which was you know, a long time ago now before I w- even lived in Canada so you know we're going back to previous century pretty much yes um, absolutely but we're dealing with this you know yesterday um councillor Partridge was talking about you know 3 billion dollars in spending for better transit and she's talking about, well, is that going to stop my people from from where I am uh, driving downtown? Are they going to get stuck in traffic? And you're like, are you serious? Is this is this really the, the big point? And it's it's so incredibly parochial, I mean, almost
1: literally at a parish level. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, the, the irony of that statement though is that Council Partridge is, if I'm not mistaken, Flamborough Waterdown. That's right. That's right. Yeah, Ward fifteen. They, right. They they aren't going to Hamilton. Those people are coming down to Burlington.
2: Well, let's like, let, but, let, yeah. let's,
1: let's be let's be honest here. Those people are not are not going. If they're going for amenities or 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 quick you know a quick service. They are not going into downtown Hamilton. They'll go travel down Brand Street into Burlington. Like that. That I mean that's and that's the, one of the problems of Algamation was that it was so haphazard that. The people who, who are served by Burlington Moore were lum- lumped in with Hamilton.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, the amalgamation is still, you know, a, a festering wound, unfortunately. I don't know quite why that's the case, but I know it isn't uh, helped by our uh, current counselors. They feed it every day. Um, it almost like it, like it works in their favor. There's them and us and I'll protect you. And, you know, if, if I wasn't here, you know what they'd do. You're, if you think your taxes are high now, these Hamilton bandits will be, will be all over you. Now, not everybody feels that way. And not everybody feels that way in Waterdown or Ancaster or Stony Creek or Binbrook. Uh, they don't feel that way. They understand big city thinking. Amalgamation isn't going to be undone. It is what it is. I think what some of us are offended by is the parochialism that you talked about, Joel, it's very selfish because uh, there are, for example, if you live in the old city of Hamilton and the lower city of Hamilton, that's where the LRT line is going to go. If you live up on the so-called mountain in Hamilton, which is where I grew up as a kid, the Lincoln Alexander Parkway or the Link travels basically the same length as the LRT will. Well, I never use the Link. I don't need to use it but I don't mind the fact that it's there. It has to be uh, operated and maintained, just like LRT is going to have to be operated and maintained, same with the Red Hill. I never use the Red Hill, but I don't, what I don't do, which some counselors really push is how will my recipients, sorry, my residents benefit from LRT, they'll never use it. Well, okay, maybe, maybe they won't, but a lot of Hamiltonians will. The tax base will increase significantly, which will, will help all Hamiltonians, not just some. So, I, I, what I don't understand, and Judy Partridge, of all people, I mean, she, she's been pushing this, you know, the watered down bypass, which is, you know, this is not a $300,000 project. It's not going to help me or, you know, probably a couple hundred thousand people in Hamilton, but not, we're not fighting it. It has to be good for everybody. LRT is the first part of the BLAST network, but you got to start somewhere. And when the feds and the province say, we'll give you $3.4 billion to kickstart this thing, I say, where do we sign? Of course, you got to ask some questions. I'm a retired business person. I understand you got to ask some financial questions, but I'll tell you this, operating and maintenance of, of, of the gift of LRT, well, good managers will figure that out we'll figure out how we cover those costs because there is revenue after all. And these counselors never talk mm-hmm. about revenue. They only talk about costs yeah. because they're trying to scare people.
1: What, what, I mean, when you get into it, I mean, what you're talking about, there's like, you know, building a, it's a massive infrastructure project that is in the downtown core, but I mean, it's the, the primary route as it is right now is to be going along Burton street, which if I'm not mistaken, along um, King street, actually, King, my apologies. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, it, that, that section is meant to be, it's targeted as like an economic revival by the city. Uh, you know, they, they've they've kind of been been going around different neighborhoods to revitalize run down na- neighborhoods in the city as as a proper city council should. I don't get why the compartmentalizing or this this you know I got to protect my fief, my, my this fiefdom mentality to to the city uh, has taken taken root. Because I, I mean, you're right. I can see, I can see the benefits. If you put in LRT, you're going to get more businesses, and what, how that benefits people on the mountain is, you might live on the mountain, but you travel downtown to go to a new job in a in a shiny, hopefully a shiny new office building on King Street or somewhere close by. Like, wh- why why is that that argument not being made by by the proponents, you know, those in favor of LRT? I know you are, but you know, I don't I don't hear from municipal leaders saying. We need this to jumpstart our downtown to, to make it attractive, not just to us, but to other people.
2: Well, some, some are. Uh, counselor, ward 1 Councillor Maureen Wilson, Ward 2 Councillor, Ward 3, John Paul Danko, who, who is on the mountain, they're all speaking out uh, uh, in favor of this and trying to explain why. The economic uplift, uh, the infrastructure reflace, replacement, But then we have the naysayers. Why are they saying this? I don't know. I don't don't know. If we were a thriving city and celebrated ourselves as such, you're absolutely right. Of course, people would go, quote, downtown either to work or to go to a concert or to a club or to a great restaurant. We have a thriving restaurant scene in Hamilton, at least we did prior to COVID. I hope a lot of them survive, but I don't know. Just like every big city. Just like every big city. I think probably the biggest thing psychologically for us is we've lived in the shadow of Toronto. We're so close to Toronto. You know, Winnipeg doesn't suffer from the kinds of attitudes that that we have, and we're a bigger city than they are. But they don't, but they're not 10 minutes away, not literally, but they're not an hour away from, you know, Canada's biggest city. And we are, and that's a problem. And there's always been a chip on our shoulder. Again, I, I speak to you as a 67 year old Hamiltonian. (laughs) <laughs> so I've been around for a while and I've seen this. But this is this is though precisely why I elect came into being is to fight this, is to change this, is to not just lament, oh, you know, these leaders are so crummy, or mm-hmm. you know, maybe they should step down. Let's give somebody else a chance. Now what we're saying is, okay, we're gonna do something. We're going to inform voters, we're gonna help them understand the issues we are going to say to them that the only way for change is to do change, is to actually change faces.
1: I, there was one thing that you, that you just mentioned, Graham, that I want to touch upon because I think it goes to the heart of kind of what this podcast was originally uh, created for. When you say that, you know, there are folks in Hamilton who who live in the shadow of Toronto and I well, they did, certainly they, they did, but i would make the argument that the entire 905 kind of lived Yep. In the shadow of Toronto, you know, we, we live in Berlin. Roland and I live in Burlington, everything. Whenever we talk about any development, somebody always stands up to the microphone and says, why Why do we have to look like Toronto? And I'm sure the, the argument is made in in certain corners of Hamilton as well. And my question to those is, yeah, nobody wants to look like Toronto. Toronto is Toronto. Let them be Toronto. We are something different. We're, we're, the 905 is a different entity and it's in a different neighborhood, a different thing altogether why can't we decide to be something different and that's something that's never been actually answered uh at least to my satisfaction
2: well i mean i've lived in i lived in toronto for 25 years grew up in hamilton left in 1980 came back in 2005 after i sold my business i love hamilton i like living in hamilton i prefer living in hamilton and you know like Lots of people. I travel. I've been. I've traveled all over the world. I've seen other places. I like to read about other places. I'm interested. I'm. So I pay attention to that sort of stuff. I'm inquisitive, but I love Hamilton for what what it is and what it can be. It breaks my heart. Picking up on a phrase you used earlier, "broken heart." It breaks my heart to see us not optimize our potential. This is not a pipe dream. It, it's right in front of us. We're living some of these changes and these successes. We see them. We have young entrepreneurs who are changing the face of Hamilton. We are proud of our our museums, our art gallery, our music scene, our our fabulous. I used to sit on the board of of the Hamilton Philharmonic Orchestra. Um, We have big city features and yet we have small town thinkers around the council table and that's what we need to change in my opinion and we also need a mayor um, who doesn't just drone on about stuff but actually champions and is capable of championing and that's part of I elect as well is having the kind of leadership and yeah I understand the mayor gets one vote but the mayor is the only one who got elected by every person in the city of Hamilton and so there is a bit of a bully pulper that comes with the territory, and it's not being used by our current mayor. So the potential is there. There's evidence that we, we've got it. We're good at this. We, we actually know how to do interesting things. And we keep getting beat down, in my opinion, and obviously in the opinion of many others, by our elected leaders. And yet we keep voting them back in. So uh, if I elect is successful, that will change. And now, certainly, we're going to do our best to make that the case.
0: How do you hope to do that? I mean, is this going to be through like advertising, through social media campaigns, through? You say you're not going to endorse candidates and you know run a specific platform and and so on. And to a extent, you'd be perfectly within your rights to do so. I mean, ironically, people always throw this up as something bad, and it's like, well, actually, that's legal. That's Right. Totally acceptable within the rules of democracy to do that. However, you're you're not going to do that, and that's a legitimate choice too. But what's the plan to kind of uh, bring this to as many eyes as possible before Election Day?
2: I think the biggest tool we have is information. Uh, We uh, we are going to be doing council report cards. How have they voted on key issues within each of the six priority areas that we've identified that spell I elect? We're going to be using information about issues, informing people about issues. The method that we're using, of course, is you know, it's web-based. There's social media. There's mainstream media. We've had some very good coverage. Uh, we're doing advertising. We had a full-page ad. The day we launched, we had a full-page color ad in the Hamilton Spectator. There's more to come. There's radio and television advertising as well. There'll be fl- uh, flyers going to homes remember we've been at this for 11 days so and we have uh, you know over a year ahead of us of activities and plans and we have lots of them already identified but you know you don't throw everything out or out there uh, in the first 2 weeks that's how that's how we're going to do it we believe that if we can better inform voters so that even in the six priority areas whoever comes to their door whether it's their incumbent or three new candidates they could ask them questions about infrastructure and the economy and leadership and the environment and community and transportation. It, we're giving them a framework to view how how their lives are, are being led. And so we want to, to inform.
0: That's it for part one of this interview. Make sure you tune in for Thursday for our usual Thursday episode. Then again next week uh, for uh, more on events in Hamilton and the... Uh, and the campaign to make sure we get the best possible candidates we can running for the 2022 election you can find out more about i elect hamilton at ielecthamilton.ca thanks for now and we'll speak to you soon